to episode 15 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm one half of the hosting duties, Doug Venn. Please follow me on Twitter at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. I'm the second half of this equation. I am Pete. They call me Pete underscore gas on the Twitter machine. Pete, it's been a while since uh, you and I have done a podcast together in the same room. Does feel like it. I know we recorded last time. I was, I think it was a Sunday after the Jersey game. Was we were in the same room. That feels that was over a couple weeks ago. Thanks for putting up with me calling in from uh, where was I calling in from? Miami, I think it was. Yeah, I believe the last episode we recorded, you were in Miami. I believe moons over Miami. It was actually kind of a neat town to see. I didn't go to any sporting events there, but I did get to go to the game in Nashville, which nice. was, which was awesome. How was that? So I've been to Nashville before. That was my second time, actually second time this year going to a game, but the first time seeing the Canucks play there. I'm always impressed with the the show that Nashville puts on. The thing that really blows me away, quite literally, is I think that for the sound system in an arena, I don't think they turn it down after concerts. I think they just leave it at concert level. Like, that music is freaking loud in there, man. They, everything is loud. And the stoppages in between plays, there's always stuff going on. The entertainment value is really high there. But having said that, the national fans, and we all know this, we've they've developed a reputation for this. They're fantastic fans. It's a hockey town. You go out on game day, and if you've been to Nashville, you know where the Bridgestone Arena, it's on the end of Broadway. And Broadway there is where all the bars and clubs and tourists and everyone is. And you go down there on game night, there's Predators stuff everywhere. And different jerseys. They got some pretty nice third jerseys out there and, and uh, winter classic jerseys or whatever they're doing. They got some nice ones for that. But just overall, like, top-notch to, to Nashville as a hockey town. Highly recommend Canucks fans going on down there and checking out a game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, how are the, like, in-arena fans? I know the Canuck fans quite often kind of get bagged on for not being as, you know, cheerful or vocal in the arena were the Nashville fans I know they were kind of getting pummeled by the Canucks was a 5-2 was the final six, score 6-3 six, 6-3 three. Six, three. Um, but you know how were the in in arena fans you know were they kind of lively and vibrant and trying to start the, you know those chants to kind of build the team momentum back yeah and first it was 5-2 for a while in that game if I remember 5-3 and then uh, Tanner Pearson scored from like West Kentucky on, into the empty net there <laughs> but yeah the fans there they're good they have their things of course you hear the whole thing when they score a goal uh, but they also just, they, like we were sitting next to a couple season ticket holders, they know their stuff, they know their team. Uh, we were talking about Kyle Turris because he was a healthy scratch that game, and I was talking about how I saw Kyle Turris play junior out here. But they, they know their stuff, and they're, they're into the game. Uh, they don't seem to have that corporate lower bowl feel that we have, yeah. uh, and there weren't a lot of empty seats either. There were some empty seats, but not a lot of empty seats. And it was, it was a again, it's a pretty good crowd. There's definitely... More of a vibe, I've, I've found, than in a lot of other arenas I've been to. Are tickets reasonably priced? Yeah, reasonable. I think I paid 60 US or so for mine. I was front row on the aisle in the, uh, the upper deck. Those are two things, you know, I like. No one in front of me and sitting on the aisle. <laughs> and that was great is uh, there was a beer stall and uh, washroom right out the door there. I was like, oh, this is perfect, man. If only, if only I could get this every game. Nice. We know our our seats. We always sit on the aisle too with our season tickets. Yeah, yeah. I, the aisle. I mean, even on a plane, I'm, I always want the aisle. Me I like too. having the control of getting up and not having to ask someone to move. Yeah, it's just that just that freedom of knowing I got to get out, especially if I've had more than a couple of pops and uh, I've got the bladder of an eight year old boy. Um, side question here for you. You brought up Kyle Turris. Yeah. And a few people I've seen on Twitter kind of comment on this. I don't know. 
if both teams would do this, but would a one-for-one trade, Kyle Turris for Louis Erickson, be something that would interest you? You know what's so funny is I proposed that to the guys next to me when we were talking about Turris. They're, they're not happy with him. I said, I'll trade you Louis Erickson for him, and they're like, oh, yeah, just swapping money around. Yeah, I'd do it. Uh, I, I don't know what Turris has left on his deal. Yeah, I can, I'm sure we can find out here, but it's... Uh, it's, it's he, I know he's carrying a bit of a cap hit, and it's funny just how Nashville's ended up with all those pieces that they kept moving around. Uh, but yeah, here we go. Kyle Turris, $6 million for, ooh, you know what? I have to maybe consider that. He's got, including this year, he's got five years, so uh, he's wow. got four. So it would be adding on two years to the Louis Erickson saga. So I don't know, maybe I'd take that back. I mean, I've been watching that Louis Erickson line move inch by inch i'm like all right well we're over the halfway mark now and we're getting closer uh, i don't know if i want to revisit that that was the whole thing with the milan lucic thing there's an extra year on that deal and i'm boy i'm sure glad we didn't go down that rabbit hole either yeah lucic to me never made sense for from the canuck standpoint i i just yeah i was i, I would have loved to have maybe gone for james neal i think he would have been a, a good serviceable winger maybe um obviously when you're playing with david and uh, dry saddle, your numbers are going to get a little inflated. Uh, but I still thought and still think that Neil is a pure sniper and the guy can put the puck in the back of the net. And obviously that's showing with Edmonton at the moment. Oh, for sure. And he really only had the one bad year and that was with Calgary. I mean, the guy is a player. I thought right away, I thought, oh, geez, I don't know what, what Calgary's doing with that trade. Hmm. Maybe we'll get into this later, but maybe it had something to do with that coach in Calgary. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, this we could we we talked before this episode about what, how we want to approach this whole thing. We're going to talk about it a little bit at the end, but I mean we could spend a, a whole episode just talking about this. But we want to kind of keep this a little more Canuck centric uh, yeah. for this episode. And yeah, not to derail the episode. You know, we try to keep it somewhat structured and somewhat topical with Canucks related things. We are the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast, after all. Yeah, we can talk about anything in here, but uh, we we try and keep it loyal for our good half dozen fans or so out there. Um, but yeah, the, the tourist thing's interesting. Five years, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know, know what happened with him. He just seems to have, just seems to have fallen off a cliff. There just seems to be, you know what I think it is in, in general, and we've seen this with a lot of these $6 million men and Louis in that boat, Milan Lucic, is the game has changed so quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's gone from this kind of traditional Kings, Blackhawks, Bruins, heavy lineups to this, this speed game. And there's no longer a bottom six. There's no longer even really a true checking line. Checking lines on the good teams can also score. And so if you can't skate and keep up with with the speed of the game, there's no longer a place for you. And all of a sudden, guys like Kyle Turris just don't fit into that right now. But I, again, he's only 30 years old. I don't really know exactly what happened there. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, and I definitely prefer and want the Canucks. And they have been moving to a more skilled team as opposed to like a big heavy team. However... The Blues did win, win last year with that MO of mm-hmm. the big, heavy, kind of slow you down, you know, beat you down team. And uh, yeah, I agree, though. I think that overall the, the game is trending to a more skill than speed game, which is more entertaining for the fans. And I, I, I think that's what you want. You know, you don't want like, you know, what Robert Bertuzzo did to Arvidsson. Uh, you know, you don't want to see that in the game anymore. I don't want to see that in the game anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, a guy like Kyle Turris, he he only had three seasons, about 55 points. And so when you sign a guy to that kind of money with that kind of production that he's had, that's that's really, that's on the Predators right there. Yeah. Um. Anyways. 
moving along, there was all some big news today as well in regards to the Canucks. Yeah, and I'm I'm quite happy about this uh, and getting a, finally getting a chance to hopefully see Goldie. The only good thing with all these injuries that we've had is that we've start, finally started to get to see a little bit of what McEwen can bring to the team. Tyler G, who scored his first goal of the game I was at as a Canuck. Not his first ever goal, but his first goal as a Canuck. I believe it was a power play goal as well, strangely enough. Yeah, I know, I was. But uh, the Canucks went five for six on the power play that game. That was that was great. But that's the only thing. Is, okay, we've, we've seen Sven. There was all those people losing their shit when Sven went down. We've seen him. He played six games with the team. He didn't hasn't played since the Jersey game. So really, since the last time we've done a podcast, he hasn't played a game. He's got a couple of helpers. He's obviously a liked guy, but there's he doesn't seem to be fitting right now with this current version of the team, this current way the league is. He's having more production down in Utica. I'm okay with that. He hasn't gotten picked up on waivers. That's all right. But yeah, bringing in Goldie, man. And I tracked a few things with Goldie. Since the 2016 season in the AHL, the guy's almost a point-per-game player in the AHL. He's got 96 points in 97 games. And that's some pretty excellent production. This year, he's got 20 points in 18 games. So he has earned his spot to come up. Now, the question is, how does Travis Green use him? Yeah, well, look, Goldobin has to play in the top six, right? And I agree. I, we talked a little bit about this uh, in our next segment with Crew Frank. Um, oh, I don't think we mentioned that. Uh, uh, yeah, we probably didn't. Crew Frank is on the show. We're gonna, we are got him on uh, a little bit later. It's, it's, it's a really good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're not giving Crew Frank a follow, that's uh, Crew Frank with a K. And an RU. And an RU. Uh, yeah, give him a follow, man. Uh, really uh, knowledgeable about hockey and been a fan of the Canucks for quite a while. Um, but yeah, our discussion, our conversation with Crew Frank, he brought up uh, that Goldobin definitely he thinks should be playing in the top, in one of the top two lines. And obviously Goldobin last year had some chemistry with Petey and Besser. Um but I know Frank brought up that, you know, he didn't necessarily want to mess up the chemistry between JT Miller, Besser, and Petey. But before Miller got moved to the top line, he was on Bo's line. And that yeah. was the most productive line uh, for the Canucks early on in the season. So Miller definitely seems to be the drink that's stirring the pot wherever he's going. And I think we need that more balanced approach. I wouldn't mind Goldobin maybe playing with Horvat, but I think it would make more sense for Goldie to jump up with Petey and Besser to move Miller down to the second line. Yeah, and I'm with you, Doug. I think, uh, for me, Miller and Horvat, they've, they've got chemistry. They scored the only goal uh, against Washington last night. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've looked good Philadelphia. Together. Philadelphia. Sorry, my, my week is blurred. I, I, I've been not even sure what city I'm in when I open my eyes. But I, I like Goldobin on the top line. I think just put him in there. This guy's over a point per game right now in the A. He's been playing fantastic. Let's see what he can do with the big boys and, and going back with Pedersen. Yeah, the only thing I will say about Goldobin that's a little bit got me worried is, is Goldobin turning into Reed Boucher? Boucher is a guy who puts up almost, I don't want to say astronomical, but I mean, Boucher has 19 points in 14 games in for Utica. He's, is he one of those guys who, for whatever reason, he's not quite good enough to be an everyday NHL player, but he's too good or at least an elite AHL player? I, I'm starting to worry a little bit about Goldobin. I also know Green, for whatever reason, seems to use Goldobin a little bit as his whipping boy. Yeah, but I, the, Boucher is a couple years older. I, I do know what you're saying. It does feel like, I'm surprised he's only a couple years older. It, it does feel like Reed Boucher has been around forever. And Boucher was 
a scoring machine back in junior. I think, doesn't he hold like the Sarnia Sting points and goals records? He does. And uh, that, I think it was a couple of years, he broke Steven Stamkos' record a few years after Stamkos was drafted mm-hmm. and went to the NHL, which is pretty impressive. And I mean, there's a chance that certainly Goldobin could go that AHL route, but it, it's nice to see, especially with the history that Canucks have with Russians, Goldie went to Utica. I, I was a little surprised he reported. I thought he might pull the Russian move and be like, F this, I'm going to the K. Uh, but he went to Utica. He played hard. He's been well-liked by his teammates. He's put up great numbers, and he has earned this call-up. So my question, I guess, for you then, you, I think you've already kind of answered it, but let's make it a top six. How would you roll out the Canucks' top two lines next game? So, yeah, the top line, I'm going to go with uh, Besser, Petey, and Goldie. Uh, like I said, especially, I think it was last November, December, they had good chemistry together. Goldobin was nearly a point-a-game player last year during that stretch, uh, I want to say the majority of November and into December. It was in December, I believe, that he got scratched for that first game, and then all his confidence just kind of got shattered. Um, so I would definitely roll those three. And then the second line, you obviously got Horvat, you got Miller, and then, yeah, like, Pearson, I guess, is the guy that seems to make the most sense. Uh, I didn't think Gaudet had a great game last night. However, Gaudet has probably been one of the more point-producing forwards the Canucks have had the last couple of weeks. I know he's been on a little bit of a cold spell these last couple of games. I do prefer Gaudet playing in the middle, but if you're trying to get more balance going on those two lines, I wouldn't mind seeing... Godet maybe on the wing there. Um, but then I guess that all depends whether or not Sutter's ready to play. I know Beagle's kind of been bouncing in and out of the lineup because he's had some injuries as well. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably do Pearson, Miller, Horvat. Because uh, like I said, the beginning of the year, that was the second line. They were doing relatively well. And then I would do Goldie, Besser, and Petey. Yeah, I like the sound of that. I, mean, I, I, I like right now keeping Miller and Horvat together a little bit longer, seeing if they can produce in the second line and take some of that pressure off but yeah for me goldie let's let's just see what he can do i'm excited about it. we also have roussel uh who i was hoping i'd get to see in nashville we still haven't seen him yet but i was hoping that we get a chance but roussel is getting close to coming back and there's Furland is also skating again with the team yeah well that's the thing that's what's going to be interesting and uh, i think i brought it up to you last week on the podcast i shared a little bit of news that w- appeared on social media that apparently Jim Benning was the one that was preventing Louis Erickson from being sent down to Utica. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, looking at it, you got to think that, you know, something's got to give here. Yeah. Louis can't keep being on this team, especially when guys start getting healthy. You got Russell coming back. You got Ferlin coming back. Uh, uh, Sutter's coming back. You just brought Goldie back up, who I totally agree with you. Absolutely deserves this recall. So what happens? Are you just going to... You can't have all these guys on your roster, so you're going to have to make a roster move at some point. And uh, Lou, Louis not giving you anything. No, like, he he's really not. Isn't. He's not. I mean, it's... This is really the... Uh, this is going to be very telling. If somehow Erickson withstands this round of cuts, uh, there's going to be some real head, head scratching because you got all these guys coming back. I think Tyler G, McEwen, I think these guys have outplayed Erickson. And I think that Gaudet is, you can't send Gaudet down anymore. No. So if there's somehow that Erickson still stays with the team, I mean, there's going to be some real head scratching, I think. Well, it was it was interesting that 
when before Sutter got hurt, Green actually had Sutter and Goddard playing together, and he put Sutter on the wing, but Sutter was taking a lot of the faceoffs. And I know last night, I have to double check this, but I'm fairly certain Goddard went like 0 for 10 in the faceoff circle mm-hmm. last night. He was, he was struggling mightily. And I'm guessing, like, I mean, if he's going up a guy like Claude Giroux or uh, Couturier, who are, you know, Couturier is probably one of the best faceoff guys in the entire league. Yeah, he is. Um, and so, like, I, I can understand, you know, how he would struggle. But that was kind of nice is you had Sutter who could kind of help a little bit and, you know, win faces. I mean, the Canucks are already doing it when with Miller on the top line. Miller's taking ma- the majority of faceoffs, especially in the defensive zone, instead of Petey. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see. I, I like that as well. It's, it's you know, the, the Godet thing uh, uh, with the faceoffs, that's something that will take practice. That, that'll come for sure. But that's it's not enough of a reason to, to send him down. He's... You, you, that eye test with him, he's too good to to send down right now. I mean, McEwen or Tyler G, maybe you can send one of those guys down, but you're getting pretty clogged up right now. If you're deciding to keep Gaudet and you get healthy, Erickson's got to go down. Yeah, well, you got essentially three guys potentially coming back, right? With Ferlin, Sutter, and uh, Roussel. Mm-hmm. So to me, McEwen and uh, Tyler G make the most sense to go down. And then it's what God between Godet, Schaller, Mott, and Erickson. Mott's yeah. injured, so you're probably I don't even think you can send an injured no, player down. You can't. Um, so it's really between those three then. Schaller, who pointless in fourteen. Schaller is. Yeah. I still think he's played relatively well, though. I yeah, mean, you notice him. He does. He does. Uh, he he does the little things. Hey, <laughs> and like he's he's he's. Fairly effective on the PK as well. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely, I think we've all, as Canuck fans, noticed him much more in games than we did last year. Last year he was invisible. Yeah, he's played every game so far. So uh, there's obviously something that Green likes with him and he trusts the player. He trusts him more than Erickson. So again, pushes Erickson down the pecking order. Yeah. But the Roussel coming back and the guy that's staying up, yeah, that's, geez, uh, it's got to push him out. It's got to. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would be. Very surprised if Godet ends up getting sent down after, especially. I mean, yeah, he's. I think the whole team's gotten a little bit cold as of late, but yeah. uh, Godet has arguably been the most what for, for the bottom six. He's been arguably the most consistent point scorer in the last three weeks. Yeah, quickly uh, going back to JT Miller. How do you feel about that trade now? Uh yeah, I, I I can't say I can't say it's hasn't been a huge win for the Canucks. Yeah, I agree, Doug. I think it's uh, it, I mean, yeah, it's a first. But you've got a guy who's on pace for high seventies points. Whether he gets that, even if you get low seventies points, you you can't get those players with a first round pick every time. And the way the Canucks are looking, it, it won't be a high pick. I think I think it could be a middle pick like a middle around uh middle first round pick but i don't think it's weird like we're giving away a lottery pick well yeah that's it and well it doesn't matter this year because it's lottery protected right so mm-hmm. if the canucks don't but, miss don't make the playoffs this year yeah. it's our pick yeah and then next year i don't see a way that with the way the team's going that it that they wouldn't well i shouldn't say that. that's a yes. very presumptuous injuries, thing to, injuries to can say but the way the team is developing next year looks to be a better version of this year yeah and so you know, theoretically, the Canucks, if they don't make the playoffs this year, would theoretically make the playoffs next year if everything's trending the way we all think it's trending. And again, you're not losing a lottery pick. Uh, at the time, and again, I feel like a broken record. I feel like I've said this a few times. I just didn't like the fact that we seem to give market value in this trade for a player, for a player 
that was coming from a team that definitely needed a cut salary. Mm. And so I thought you'd get some kind of deal. I always hearken back to, and it's probably the best move, in my opinion, the best move Gillis made was the Christian Ehrhoff trade. Yeah. And that was all because San Jose had just added Danny Heatley and they needed to shed salary or they were, they were trying to add Danny Heatley. I don't know what came first. Uh, I believe they had already added Heatley and they needed to shed salary and we got Ehrhoff for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, I think we got Brad Lukovic in that deal as well and we sent former first round bust Patrick White and someone else the other way. I yeah. don't remember. Patrick White, the guy. I still remember that draft when like the Canucks, uh, Dave Nonis drafts Patrick White and Bob McKenzie, and I man, I gotta say, I miss TSN's broadcasting of the draft. I really do. Yeah. Um, but Bob McKenzie, like, literally like, scrambling through his papers to see where Patrick White was was ranked in the draft. He's like, oh, I believe he was ranked, like, 54th or, like, yeah. 66th overall or something like that. Yeah, and again, kind of coming back, uh, the, the Benning regime, I think, has done a very good job of, of drafting and getting guys in places that sometimes people question, but... You look at some of those guys now and how well they're looking for later picks in the draft. I think we're, we're doing pretty well on that regards. Speaking of, that's a nice transition into one of our final points before we get to the interview with Frank here. Uh, and that is a guy that we, we talk about a lot, Ole Ulevi. And I know you, Doug, you, you had some things that you wanted to say about Ulevi and bring him back up. So let's get into the Ulevi thing. Yeah, well, and again, we touched on it last week again, and, you know, we're, we're just talking about how sad we are that, you know, Ulevi's gotten hurt, and the injury seemingly is going to be for an undisclosed amount of time, and, you know, it's, I believe this Friday, it's going to be two weeks, and there's still nothing. Like, there's nothing being reported on this for the most part. There was a couple of tweets by Rick Dollywall, which I find it very interesting. You know, the first one was, you know, there's still no word on what's wrong with Yolevi. And then he's quoting Yolevi's agent. And Yolevi's agent was quoted, I was hoping to get details last week, but it's taken a little longer, said his agent, Marcus Lajeto or Lahoto. Uh, we hope to find out in the next few days. And then Dollywall followed that up with another tweet saying, the Canucks have done a good job of respecting Yolevi's privacy. Whether it's a hockey injury or a non-hockey-related problem, the focus should be on Yolevi's well-being. To me, I mean, that's just very interesting. Like, is Yolevi struggling through, you know, some personal issues? I mean, you assume it's a physical injury. The Canucks did say it's a lower body injury, and it wasn't related to the knee he had surgery on last year. Um, you know, maybe he's going through a little bit of depression because... He just can't seem to stay healthy, and, you know, his body's, you know, he's a young guy. He's, what, 21, 22 years old, and his body's breaking down seemingly, you know, constantly for him. But it just, you know, those two tweets to me are just very interesting because to me this seems like it's a lot more than just a physical ailment. Yeah, I mean, all we really know is lower body. It's very cryptic. Uh, I, I, I don't want to read too much into it. It is, I agree that it's, here we are, we still don't know anything more than last time we talked, really, and... Everyone's keeping their cards to their chest here. I think Ulevi's in Vancouver. I'm not 100% sure. I know he was. That's what they said. They they said that he was coming to Vancouver so uh, to get more testing. And, and again, you know, that was... It wasn't this Friday. It was the previous Friday. So let me just see what the date was on that. I believe it was the 15th. So it was the 16th that the Canucks announced that Ulevi was going to be out. Because the Friday, he missed that game. Uh, and yeah, so it's been, you know... Oh, yeah, it's been well it's getting, over a week. Yeah, we'll get almost ten to, days. Yeah, getting close to two weeks here. 
Yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, I've I've searched through and uh, again on Ulevi, I've, I've I've I don't know. I don't I don't know anything really. It's uh, it's the same lower body injury. Is there something more to it? Maybe the way this is all being handled seems very, very secretive. Yeah, again, it's just. I just find it really strange because usually you don't see things like this go down like that, right? Like, you don't usually see this much of a delay on reporting what an injury is. And the fact that the Canucks team doctors, want they're flying him out from Utica back to Vancouver to check on his injury. Again, it's just, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And then Dolly Wall's cryptic tweets. And again, I could just be, you know, putting my tinfoil hat on and reading way too much into it. But it just, it seems weird to me. And I, again, I get it. I mean, if I was a young athlete and my body kept breaking down and I had yet to play a professional, well, not a professional, but yet to play an NHL game, you know, that would start to weigh on you, you know, uh, mentally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of pressure that he's under, and especially with this marketplace and this fan base. I hope. Again, I hope nothing serious. I hope he's doing all right. And Rick Dollywell's right. And uh, everyone else who's posted out there, the real concern should be for Ole Levy's health here, whatever it is. And hopefully as Canucks fans, we get to see the kid play at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, should we move on to our interview with uh, Crew Frank? Yeah, I think so. He's got some good stuff to say. Let's, uh, let's give the listeners what they want, which is less of us and more Frank. <laughs> Joining us now, our guest for this episode, we have Crew Frank joining us. Frank, how you doing? Doing wonderful. Thank you so much for the invite. I, I uh, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. I, I got to say, you're one of the people I've had some long-running banters with over the years, so it's nice to finally talk to you in person instead of sending each other a bunch of tweets. <laughs> Nothing like talking Canucks hockey, I tell you. I hear you. Uh, Frank, you're, I know you're in Alberta. Lots of news being made in Alberta today. Uh, before we get into the Canucks, just do you have any thoughts on what's happening with the Flames organization today? That's just crazy, eh? I mean, on the heels of the Babcock firing and uh, the accusation by, uh, well, I guess Marner didn't make the accusation, but uh, he certainly confirmed it. And then right on the heels of that, you got the Bill Peters stuff with... Uh, Kim Alou there, and then I guess um, the last 20, 25 minutes, I think, in real time, a couple other players have now come forward to share similar complaints against Bill Peters. That's, that's, just, that's just shameful, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, this day and age, that's not really any place for that in the game anymore. And Well, was there ever really a place, but it's a bit of that old-school mentality that we're kind of seeing a bit of a shift out of Canadian hockey culture overall, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and you know, just to throw it out there, you, you read some of the comments, at least I have, where people are they're not attacking a Kim or, or the other guys, but they're asking the question, well, why did it take you so long to come forward? But, I mean, you got to remember, it's like this kid, she was 20 years old. 20 years old. I remember being a 20-year-old. And my boss just laying it into me. And I wanted to just respond back just as hard, but I needed the job. <laughs> and so you got a 20-year-old kid who's, you know, these, these, uh, uh, being accused of saying these, these racial slurs against your 20-year-old, this coach. 
and he's looking for a job. He wants to stay in the league. It's oh, man, I I can't even imagine what was going through his head. And so I I I would never blame the player for being quiet. I I kind of get that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Frank. The other thing too with Akimalu is he was also part of one of the kind of more publicized hazing uh, events that happened to him in junior as well. And you know that kind of it was big news at the time. That quickly got swept under the rug, or everyone kind of moved on. So I think already, you know, after that hazing incident that he went through, he was probably a little bit unsure of himself to kind of stand up for himself because essentially it was, I believe, Steve Downey was the one that attacked him in practice, his own teammate, because he tried to stand up for himself during a hazing event. You know, I, I had season tickets to the Winter Spitfires during those years, and uh, that was very public news. And to hear that Steve Downey took his stick and just, not allegedly, he did. He whacked a Kim in the teeth, knocking his teeth flying, all because the poor kid didn't want to get locked into the team bus bathroom naked for the for the road trip. Uh, I mean, that's just that's unconscionable. That end up both players asked to be traded. Both players got traded, but um, you know that's a whole other podcast. The story, the history of uh, Windsor Spitfires and the. Uh, crazy antics that have occurred on and off the ice there. I tell you, I could write a whole book about it. Well, we could we could spend all episode talking about the Spitfires. I know you're in Medicine Hat. And there's a lot of Tigers connections there as well, but really, we, we want to talk Canucks with you. So, for you, how did it all start? You've, you've, I know you're in Alberta now. You were in Ontario before. How did it be? you become a Canucks fan? I, I was born and raised in uh, Hope, British Columbia. couple claims the same. First Blood was filmed there, the where, where the whole Ramble yep. franchise got started. Secondly, um, Greg Davies was uh, our our athlete, if you will, and he uh, was drafted by the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Never ended up playing professionally in the NHL, but he did play minor pro. But then Jay Shares, who was, I believe, the first um, African-American or African-Canadian um, linesman in the NHL and uh, he's been in the NHL for years and years he's now retired but uh, him and I went to high school together so the, the love of hockey being uh, born and raised in Hope British Columbia we were just down the highway from Vancouver I, I started watching the team in the days of Gary Suitcase Smith and Don Lever and all, all those guys never never wavered once in my fan support for the team that's beautiful. That's going back to the, the yellows and the flying Vs. I was shortly after that. It was For me, it was Petri Skriko in those days when I started to, to yep. become a fan. Yep, I, I cheered for the team when the uh, stick in the arena logo was their first logo. Oh, and now it's made a nice comeback. So. <laughs> so so, what do you think right now, the current incarnation of the team? We've had, a, we've had a pretty hot start in October. November's brought us back down a little bit to reality. Do you feel that the Canucks are more October, more November, or that the reality is that they're somewhere in between right now? Honestly, I think somewhere in between. October was a great start. I think they caught a lot of teams off guard. We had a very healthy lineup. The excitement was there. Nobody knew quite how to handle someone like a Quinn Hughes or, or how JT Miller was going to fit with this lineup. I think 
teams in November kind of got a good look for a month at how this team plays, made some changes, and then, of course, the dreaded injury bug on forward. Uh, we've been fairly lucky on defense, honestly, but uh, not up, not up, up top there in the, in the, in the, the bottom, bottom six especially. Yeah, who would have known that Brendan Sutter would have been such a big deal, a big loss to this team? I know Bo, Bo Horvat, after last night's game, was saying that missing him, you know, has kind of hurt this team a little bit and a little bit of their depth. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly have always liked that that trade that we did to get Sutter into the team originally. I think he was miscast. The Canucks, I think, back then hoped he'd be the number two center. But right now, as the number three guy, um, being a defensive specialist, um, I, I think that that's his sweet spot. I, I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but he felt early earlier in his career that he he was a second line center. Maybe with maturity, age, he realizes what his role is on an NHL team. And um, God, that got to keep pushing hard if he if he wants to take that spot from Sutter. Yeah, that's very true. I think Sutter. Maybe he, I think he was projected really as a second line center on this team. He's certainly no more than a third line center. I've long talked about the need for top nine scoring out of this team, and this is kind of a two part question, I guess. Who do you ideally see playing with Bo on the wings? What is your kind of current best case scenario? And then where do you see as the season goes on more of our third line scoring coming from? With the current players we have, who who do I think should be playing with both? Yeah, who do we have, and uh, and then who do you think on the third line would kind of constitute more of our scoring in the top nine? Well, I think with with Goldblum's call up today, I guess he gets he, he gets the ticket, right? McEwen will either be sacked or or he'll be uh, sent back down to Utica. Maybe he'll get time on the third and fourth line. But I think Goldobin's going to slot in there for at least a game or two. I, he, I I still have a lot of questions about Goldobin. He he certainly has proved himself in the short run with Utica. There's no doubt about that. Can he translate that up here in the NHL? I it remains to be seen. I sure hope he does. But honestly, I think the team if Goldobin can't do it. Berkey certainly hasn't done it. He was waived, not waived, but he was uh, reset back down to Utica today. To today, um, I, I think a trade is going to have to be in the makings to add another top six winger to play with someone like a Bo Horvat. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Frank. I I hope that Goldobin this is probably his last chance, last kick at the can, if you will, with the club. Uh, his numbers in Utica have been really good. I know last year, I believe it was in December and a bit of November, he was playing with Petey and Besser, and he was almost a point a game playing on that top line. Um, but, yeah, I really hope that Goldobin, you know, now that he's got this call-up, has a chance to kind of make an impact with the team and kind of reset, you know, from the, where he was in training camp to where he hopefully is today. And moving forward, uh, I agree with you. If Goldobin isn't the right fit, I think uh, the team's going to have to look at maybe adding a winger via the trade route. Exactly. I think the problem, the difficulty, finding a linemate for Horvat is he has so many plum assignments of facing the other, the opposition's top line. And so 
he needs wingers who are good defensively. That's why Vertanen maybe doesn't work there right now. Why they why they have issues with with Goldolman having played there before? Their defensive game isn't isn't there yet. So we need someone who can play defensively, who could also have that offensive spark. I think J.T. Miller was a great acquisition, and that was the plan all along. But boy, how do you break up the, the top line of Petey and and uh, and and Bester and J.T. Miller? That's 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 hard to do. You got to go out and find another J.T. Miller. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we got a few more first rounders. I was I was going to ask you. My next question was about J.T. Miller and using him on that line, and what you kind of thought moving forward with the season. If it, if it's better to kind of split the two guys up on the top line and uh, two guys on the second line. We saw Miller and Horvat with a really nice goal last night. And then add in some of these other pieces in there, you know, Tanner Pearson's, Josh Levo's, maybe Goldobin is able to stick. But what do you think about that? And then loading up on the power play one still. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I would almost rather see um, Goldobin play with, with Petey and Besser for a few games to see if they have a spark there and then throw Miller back down on the Horvat line. I think it's the possibility of having two complete lines might surface. But again, Goldobin is such a wild card. We, 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 the coach has to give him enough rope to hang himself, if you will. Um, he's, got, he's got to get the chance to prove that he can or can't do it. And I think that that's going to be tough because Coach wants to win, right? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, you mentioned how the defense has been relatively healthy for the Canucks this year, but I wanted to talk about one player who I think all of us as Canuck fans are really disappointed he's been injured, and mysteriously enough, since the injury, there's really been nothing else spoken about it, and that's Ole Ulevi. Uh There's a couple of great tweets from Rick Dollywall just talking about how the Canucks have done a good job respecting Yolevi's privacy, whether it's a hockey injury or a non-hockey related problem, the focus should be on Yolevi's well-being. When you see tweets like that and you see even the agent was saying, I was hoping to get details last week about it, it's taken a little longer than expected. That's from Yolevi's agent, Marcus Leheto, or Leto. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the most recent Yolevi injury and... Uh, you know, I personally haven't lost faith in the kid, but, you know, are you starting to lose faith in Yolevi as a prospect? Well, well, first off, could I just give a quick shout-out to my man Rick? Uh, that guy, if he's not the Canuck newsbreaker out, out, out there on the West Coast, I don't know who is. Yeah, I'm totally glad agree. Totally agree. He's awesome. He's a good guy. He, he, he sends me some, some nice DMs sometimes. We, You know, we don't talk a lot, but... Sometimes it just it's just it's a good info, and he has a good head on his shoulder. But no, I'm I I'm always still young, like really. Defensemen don't come into their own until they're 24, 25. Um, yes, you get your McCars, you get your Hughes, there, you know your Krugs, whatever whatever you might. But um, no, old Levy, I'm not worried. Give him as much time as he needs. I think he's been hit with the injury bug. Reading between the lines, maybe there's something else going on in his life that we're not aware of. I don't know that. I'm speculating. I have no no proof of that. No one has confirmed that to me. But um, as far as his game goes, I, I think he's still a blue chipper. 
the recent uh, hockey news, when they listed all the top prospects for the NHL teams, Ole was still listed as a blue chipper for the Canucks. So um, let's, let's not compare this guy to the other guys we could have drafted instead of him. That's not fair. I don't think it's fair. I think let the kid play his game, and when he's ready, he's ready. Yeah, you can only control how you play. You can't control where you get drafted. I know we've said that, or we've had people say that, or maybe I'm just taking credit for saying it now. But we've said that on this show before. Another thing to kind of help yeah. soften the blow with the Canucks is Jet Wu and Jack Rathbone have both really kind of shored up the back end in terms of prospects moving forward. So I, I agree to preach patience with Ole Levy. The kid's 21 years old. Yes, he hasn't played an NHL game yet. I still think he will, and uh, I, I'm willing to hang on to him because really there, there's no rush. We've, we've got a very solid six on the back end. With the back end currently, we got a one hell of a rookie in the lineup that we've kind of touched on earlier in Quinton Hughes. What have you, been your initial takeaways of watching Hughes play this year? I, amazing. <laughs> he's, been, he's been all and more that has what been uh, prophesied of him. I will go on the record and publicly state right now I didn't like that pick. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't. I was very vocal on Twitter about it. I thought Quinn Hughes had lots of talent. I didn't like his size. I, 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 I didn't like his size. I, I liked a few other defensemen that were available, but boy, I am glad that Quinn Hughes was drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. Me too. I was really looking at Noah Dobson around that spot as well. I remember that draft year, and uh, I thought there's there's another defenseman on the board whose uh, name eludes me right now. But it was uh, it was I, I was kind of with you to some extent. Hughes was a guy I wanted, but there were definitely a lot of flags around him in terms of his size and uh, coming out of NCAA as well. Yeah, well, that that's. Those were the issues that I had. I uh, I wanted Evan, uh, Evan uh, Bouchard. That was the other guy, yeah. Yeah, the Edmonton, the Edmonton draft pick. And, well, you know, he's still playing in the minors, and Quinn Hughes is playing a vital key role for the Canucks. So, short term, it looks like uh, maybe the Canucks know what they're doing, and the fans don't always get it right, <laughs> including myself. Fair enough, Frank. And, uh, yeah, I think that's very honest of you to actually say that. And for me as a Canucks fan, you know, since essentially the late 80s, early 90s, I don't remember any Canucks defenseman being the same ilk as Quinn Hughes. And there really wasn't too many of those kind of defensemen back then anyways. But I don't think the Canucks have ever had a player play the defensive position in the history of their team quite like Quinn Hughes does. I, I, I can think of one guy... Uh, who is similar. And I think Quinn Hughes is going to far surpass him, and that's Paul Reinhardt. Uh, yeah, that's one of the only guys I can think of, too. Paul Reinhardt and Jeff Brown were the only two that kind of are in the same yeah. vein at all as Quinn Hughes. Yeah. But we got both those players on the downside of the career. We have Quinn Hughes at the start, so that'll make all the difference. But, uh, you know, having him on the first power play, just that's just, just insane. Yeah, the creativity... <laughs> with this team and the way they've drafted, I think you're really starting to see it come into fruition this year as a lot of prospect rankings have the Canucks at four or five going into this year. And now you've got to take Demko and Hughes off those depth charts of prospects because they're actually playing. But you still look at what's all in the pipelines. 
right across the board, whether it's NCAA, the CHL, or Europe, the Canucks have a pretty good depth chart of picks and that are kind of exceeding expectations. What do you think about the record that Benning has drafting overall so far? Has this been his greatest strength as a GM, or would you credit it to other people in the organization? Benning's calling the shots. He, he's in control. He's, he gets all the glory, or he gets all the uh, rotten tomatoes thrown at him, but he has, of course, a great team under him, guys like Chud Brackett and Stan Smeal and uh, Thomas Gradin overseas, and there's numbers and numbers of guys and gals in, this, in, the, in the management side who um, have a lot of say into this, but, um, but ultimately Benning has to make the last, last decision, and I do. I think drafting has been um, one of the best parts of his tenure here, and it needed to happen. The draft record for the Canucks has been abysmal prior to Benning arriving. I, you, you, there's no one who could argue otherwise. I, I guess you could, but I don't think the facts would bear that out. This is the deepest pool I've ever seen the Canucks have in at least 15 years, if not longer. I couldn't agree with you more, Frank. Yeah, I'd say I'd say ever. I mean, we, we and you're right about the, the draft, and we've never been a draft-centric team. We've always been hitting maybe on one guy in a draft and then trading and building around him and and free agency. We've been a free agent team. But to have these amount of kids in the system right now that we have on every level, I mean, you know, you're looking at, in your Twitter feed in the morning, Tyler Madden's got a hat trick, Nikolai Gold, oh, Goldobin's got a hat trick, Hoglander is scoring lacrosse goals, Pietro is playing lights out in Utica. And these are all products from not just a first-round draft strategy, but a full seven-round draft strategy and using every pick properly. One could argue, and it's a little early, but six of our, of our picks from this last draft, talking to different prospect guys like Pronman and those guys, there's at least six guys that have a, a real chance of making the NHL. That, that's a great track record if it, if it happens. Where in past years, we've, we've had drafts where nobody that we, that we drafted ever in the NHL. So that's a huge leap forward. Yeah, I agree. And, and also doing it with a lot of scrutiny a lot of the time. I mean, Pe- Pedersen wasn't a popular pick in Vancouver when we took him, and you alluded to Hughes as well. But sticking with their guns, and let's not forget all the negativity that this team has taken for some of their picks, but I think the fan base is starting to show a little more trust in it, wouldn't you say? I I think so. I think so. The the angst that I I see and hear and read about from Canucks fans more directed at uh, Benning's trades and his UFA signings. Um, You can't bat 100% all the time. You'll swing and you'll You'll, you'll have misses and you'll also strikeouts. But, again, I'm not a, a pro-betting guy. I'm not anti-betting. But I, I think the moves that he's tried to make had made sense to me. Um, but they haven't all worked out, and he would be the first to admit that. Absolutely. I also think with some of, in regards to some of the free agent signings that the club's made the past few years, which I haven't been a big fan of either, we all know Louis Erickson's deal is looking worse and worse as the days go by. But I also think ownership has a lot to do with it. Aquilini, in my opinion, hasn't ever really fully committed to a full rebuild. 
and he's always tried to press, I believe, Benning and even Linden when Linden was still here to kind of accelerate the rebuild and to go and sign the free agents. I mean, at the end of the day, Aquilini still has to sign the checks and sign off on these contracts that are being offered to these free agents. Yeah, when your owner comes to you or you go to your owner and, and he says, I, I understand we have to get younger, we have to rebuild, but we still have the Sedines and we can't do a full rebuild with the Sedines here. Um, then as the GM, then he kind of has his hands a little bit tied, and so he has to be he has to be wise. He has to go get some players who can bridge the gap. You know, uh, place. I, I, I liken it to the Oscars. When, when when you look at the the audience on the Oscars, you, you'll always see full seats. It's because there's 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 men and women who've been hired to sit in the seats of the stars who had to go backstage to prepare for receiving an Oscar, Oscar or whatever. Uh, and so Benning had to go and get some placeholders. He did. And some of them were really bad. <laughs> but some of them were decent. And some of them, they were just, they knew they were all going to hold on to him for a year or two. But now we're in an, a time, an era, where we needed to get guys like Myers and Jordy Ben, um, you know, J.T. Miller. I look, that was a trade, not, not a signing. Because they're going to now, they're not placeholders. They're actually filling in the hole around the young players. So we needed to give them, give Benning some patience. And, and, and I think we've come through that. And now I can only see good things ahead, at least for the, the short-term future. It looks really bright to me. It really does. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I really like where the team's heading overall. And uh, one decision that I think this team's going to be forced to make a lot sooner then, you know, I think they were planning is the goaltending position. Markstrom's a UFA at the end of the year. Demko has been playing very well. This is probably, you know, obviously his first full season. He still is a rookie. Uh, with, the imp- with the pending Seattle expansion draft coming up, I think the Canucks have a very tough decision to make. And I, I don't know if Markstrom's going to want to sign a hometown discount deal for the Canucks. This could be the only time he has to really cash in what would you do, or what do you think the Canucks should do? Is Do you think Markstrom should be the guy that we sign to a long-term deal and then wait for Mike DiPietro to kind of slowly develop, or is Demko our guy? That, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I think about that more than I think about some other potential problems down the road for this roster. It, it's a conundrum. Markstrom has turned out under the tutelage of of, of the new goalie coach, um, he turned out to be what he was projected to be. Albeit he's now 29, um, I would give him a. Th- I'd offer him three years. I'd offer him a three-year deal. I think that that's fair. Would he take that? I don't. I don't know. Um, how much would I offer him? Probably no more than 5.5, maybe six million a year. Would he take it? I, I don't know. Um, but he certainly would be the one that we would expose for expansion. I'm not sure right now whether Demko is a, is he eligible to would he would one of the two goalies have to be exposed? Do you know that guy? Yeah, they would. Uh, if you protect yeah. Demko, uh, I yeah. believe that Markstrom is exposed, but don't quote me on that. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the case, though. Yeah, so so you have to expose one of the goalies. Then the goalie I'm going to expose, no matter what, is going to be Markstrom. You know, we're going to expose. Edler on defense, so there'll be some 
guys that could be to be plucked off our roster, you know, for sure. With some good choices for Seattle, perhaps. But um, but you know, and a lot of this depends on where we are come the deadline. Are we in a playoff spot? Are we fighting for a playoff spot, or are we on the outside looking in? Because if if we, for whatever reason, though, the wheels fall off, we get a couple more poor November type starts for the next few months, then maybe you want to trade Markstrom to a team that's a contender um, and just go young. But but I think three years is what Demko and DiPietro are going to need together. So I think keeping Markstrom for, for three more years would be perfect if he'd be willing to sign for that. And Frank, that's a perfect segue into our final question for you today, which is, are the Canucks a playoff team? Not today. They were in October. They were in October, but they're not today. But I, but if I had to go on, on record, I would say that yes, we'll get there. I think we need a trade. We have to add another top six winger. We got to stay healthy. We got to figure out what to do with everyone's favorite punching bag, Louis Erickson. Um, so I think there's some, some things that have to be done. But I think if those things get done, I think we could be a wild card team for sure. And we could upset a team in the first round. But I'm looking towards next year, the next season, and the season after that to where we really will make some great, great grounds. Um, but um, I, I have a, I've had a thought, and I haven't seen anybody talk about this. And I, and I get this because I'm watching the Medicine Hat Tigers play, coached by ex uh, Canuck coach Willie Desjardins, who some loved and some not loved so much. You know, sometimes he plays uh, an extra defenseman. He only he only dresses eleven forwards and goes with with seven defensemen. And I sometimes wonder with with how ineffective Erickson has been, and, and with the propensity of us losing a defenseman almost every game this season, why we haven't thought maybe addressing. 7D and going with 11 forwards for a few games. Uh, I, I don't know. I just uh, I just throw that out there. I don't know if that's an acceptable practice in the NHL these days. Uh, you had someone like an Alex Biega who could definitely play both the wing and defense. So I know last year that happened a couple couple games, but uh, because of injury. But I don't know. I sometimes wonder. Might be nice to have 7D out there. Well, I like it. A very diplomatic answer from you, Frank, there. And definitely something to chew on, especially with the injury bug biting the forward core. Uh, Frank, thanks again for joining us. Folks out there, you can find Frank at Crew Frank. That's K-R-U Frank, just as it sounds. Uh, Again, we really appreciate it. It's nice to finally get to chat with you after all our Twitters back and forth. Pete, uh, Doug, I really appreciate you uh, getting me on there. Last thing, if I don't, if you don't mind me saying, is what do you think about this comment? That Jamie Ben, sorry, not Jamie, Jordy Ben, our uh, Jordy Ben, does he not have the nicest quaffed beard in the NHL? Well, oh, absolutely. That's only because I'm not in the NHL, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You get so many beards are out of control, but his is just nicely. Nicely formed. Yeah, I, I like it. I love it. Ten I, out of ten. I definitely got some beard envy. I'll tell you that. There you go. Right on. Thanks a lot, Frank. Stay warm out there. Okay. Thank you so much. You take care. Bye-bye.
it's the free pour open floor segment um yeah pete uh what do you have to talk about today well we already talked about the nashville game so i want to talk about the davis cup because you know I, I i like tennis i'm very proud of the current canadian tennis program on both the men's and the women's side and the canadian team put up a really valiant effort against a loaded spanish team as well a lot of high praise from nadal on the team as well and the way it play of shapovalov and felix and again it's just bright time for canadian tennis i think it's just great to see you this is our best showing ever in the davis cup we upset the americans i think uh just great time for canadian tennis let's keep the ball moving yeah, who did we lose to in the final? Was it Spain? Spain. So yeah, obviously they had Nadal. I think Nadal yeah. had some really nice things to say. Yeah, about he the said this team is a watch out. This team is going to be a powerhouse. Uh, they're a great team. Just uh, it, was, it was just really nice to see, and it's great to see us on the international stage like that. Nice. Um, I wanted to talk about a Canucks prospect who is absolutely ripping it up in the NCAA, and that is Tyler Madden. Um, another Northeastern kid who was drafted late. Um, I know there was a lot of talk at the time about the Canucks should have drafted uh, Wise. Jack Wise. Jack Wise, yeah. yeah. Um, but they went with Tyler Madden. This seems to be another Judd Brackett pick. Like, Brackett, I don't know who he's got scouting for him uh, in this part of the country. Um, but he's always, yeah, he always seems to be hitting with these kids. Tyler Madden is tied for the league in goals and the NCAA in goals with 11 uh he's got a total of 19 points in 14 games and he looks like an absolute steal of a third round pick from a couple of years ago I believe there was some talk early in the year from Cam Robinson and again if you guys aren't following Cam Robinson on Twitter give your head a shake uh he was talking someone had asked him a question about you know if in a redraft where he thought Tyler Madden would go and Robinson figures he'd probably go a late first round pick if he was redrafted today yeah i've seen that too it's uh it's pretty impressive what he's done and i've caught a few of his games and again northeastern with uh the whole adam godette thing as well there could madden push for another hobie baker that'd be interesting to see yeah it absolutely would um all right pete uh let's uh finish this episode off let's wrap it up Thanks for listening, folks. Episode 15 just about wrapped up. Want to thank Frank as well for coming on. You can find him at Crew Frank. That's K R U Frank. A lot of good insight. Really passionate Canucks fan. Uh, we look forward to bringing him back onto the show at some point. We did want to touch on the issue going around the league right now with the, the whole Bill Peters, Mike Babcock, this whole situation. Doug, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just briefly, like I said, we could do a probably a two-hour podcast on this, um, and maybe it's something we look into at some point in time, uh, just the whole culture of hockey um, in general, but uh, yeah, man, it's, it's really fucking sad if I have to, and it just makes me angry, man, like it really does, and it's one of those things where I just... The fact that this shit like this still goes on and you know it's it, it literally is like it's bullying it, absolutely and you've seen it before with coaches on a lot of different sports basketball being one of them football being one of them who's the famous coach is it bobby knight the the, uh, the famous uh, college basketball coach who had some incredible freak outs and 
he was seen choking and there were students who claimed, you know, I, I don't think they were actual claims, I think they were actually facts, that he claimed them and choked them and... There, there's no sport, there's nothing in any sport where that belongs or that should be there. And obviously, then you've got like these, which have already been corroborated by players on the team, these, you know, racist and absolutely, you know, appalling language from Bill Peters to Akeem Alou. And again, shout out to Akeem Alou, man. I mean, this kid's been through a lot from... And again, we touched on this a little bit with our conversation with Frank, but, you know, the hazing incident he went through and then to have to deal with this shit from Bill Peters, I mean, tip of the hat to that guy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on everything you said there. There's there's stuff coming out left and right. It's a bit of this old school approach, I think. Stuff, and times have changed. You can't do that. And I think this is going to be a real eye-opener and a shift in the NHL. I hope it is. I hope it is with sports, professional sports in general is... What is the goal of a coach? They're under pressure too, but you can't be doing this kind of stuff to kids out there, especially when you're twice their age. They're just stepping into their first real big league job. Yeah, it's uh, the whole thing makes me pretty angry, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad it's, at least at the moment, it isn't involving the Canucks at all. Yeah, I mean, just the physical and the mental abuse that some of these coaches are doing to kids, it's, it's really sad, and... Honestly, another guy you guys should all give a follow to, and he's had some great tweets in the last 24 hours just about this and what he's gone through is uh, Daniel Carcillo. Yeah, as always, uh, we're hoping to, that he can join us one of these days, but he's got a lot to say out there, and um, yeah, a lot of respect for what, what he's doing too. Um, on that note, episode 15. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, you can follow me at Pete underscore gas on the Twitter machine. You can follow the podcast at Canuck Speak. And you can follow me at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.